Hello and welcome to this, the latest in our series of podcasts inside B2B, which look to get under the bonnet of some of the biggest issues in B2B marketing. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week, and it is my great pleasure to be your host for this podcast, which is brought to you in partnership with The Marketing Practice. Now, one of the biggest issues in B2B in the past, now, and no doubt in the future, is the alignment between sales and marketing how to create a better relationship for the good of both. Over the next 45 minutes or so, we will go deep into what one can do for the other and how the disruption of 2020 has changed the buying experience and therefore the needs salespeople have of marketing. Now, I'm not alone. I have Rob Hughes, Head of Global Marketing at Brighter, Johannes Diebig, who's the NAVP for Marketing Cloud in Germany and Austria at Salesforce, and Anna Hutton, who's the Director of Communications at The Marketing Practice. Crucially, we have people who can speak to experience of sales and marketing. Rob, originally trained in marketing, but his early career was in sales with senior roles at Nelson Hall and Everest Group before switching back to marketing at Automation Anywhere and now Brighter. Johannes has gone the other way from marketing to sales, is now six years at Salesforce, He started initially in senior marketing roles, latterly CMO for Germany and Austria, before moving into his current role. Now, Anna has had roles in sales, marketing and PR, and as UK general manager of PR agency, Lewis. So this is guaranteed to be a rounded, wide-angle view of the relationship and what's needed to improve it for the good of clients and not just a moan fest. Now, let's first deal with where we are right now. Some recent research from McKinsey found both B2B buyers and sellers moving interactions away from in-person and to digital and remote, obviously out of necessity. So let's first look at that, both in terms of the relationship between sales and marketing and the customers they both serve. Now, Rob, let me begin with you. How has the shift to remote selling impacted both the way you work with sales and the effectiveness of your relationship? Um, I think that it's kind of accelerated the need for sales and marketing to be one team. I think you know, everybody's history, as you've just introduced us, we've all touched both sides of the, the spectrum, but there's no sides to this because it's a, really about the customer. And I think marketing organizations and companies are starting to understand that with customer at the center of everything, sales and marketing is one team. Because of with that approach, and I've, I tend to take that approach in, in all the companies that I've worked with, especially in the high tech space, is um, it's just at, at which point does marketing hand over to sales and at which point does it become more light touch and support rather than feeding pipeline and creating brand and helping them with uh, with their pitch and what they have to say and how they're supposed to say it. I think what's happened with the pandemic and forcing everybody to work from home means we've taken away some of the sales or sales team's ability to actually sell. You know, face-to-face is a big part of selling, you know, pressing flesh and trusting people and looking in their eyes when you're making big investments is important. We've had to find new ways of doing that. And one of the ways it's not really, a marketing can't claim to own this, but online meetings and, you know, the Zoom phenomenon is no longer just about people keeping their cameras off and talking. It's about everybody's got camera on. That creates eye contact and it creates a different type of opportunity, a different type of sales motion. 
which marketing now has to support much further into the sales motion than they did before. So long after the sales accepted lead and the typical pipeline definitions or, or lead journey, right into how do we help them close? How do we give them the right platforms, the right technology to be able to give the customers what they need? And I found that marketing's been pulled into this from as much as IT has of which technologies do we start to leverage. So I think that the dependence on sales and marketing is much closer. Uh, we, we kind of own outcomes together now. Sales has been disabled slightly because they can't meet with people and we've got to figure out better ways for them to engage with potential customers and to, to fill the pipeline with something that's, let's face it, the tone of the world has changed and our marketing has to be more empathetic to the world than it's been in the past. We've been very, uh, I hate to say this is the wrong term, but very American in the way that we we speak and we talk and we market our brands. And I've noticed a, a real downturn in talking about us and a real upturn in trying to solve world problems. And I don't know whether it's a marketing play, but companies are definitely moving towards a new paradigm like this. And sales and marketing has to be able to align with that. Um, so th- th- those have been the the main drivers. Um we're actually working a lot closer with sales uh, than we have in the past. So uh, we're listening to their pains, pains that they're hearing from their customers and being a little bit more reactive because who knows where we're going to be in six, 12 months time. So planning anything too far ahead at the moment is a bit risky, uh, but everything's going digital. So um, and I can't see that changing for, uh, for the next 18 months, two years anyway. Thank you for that. Some big changes illustrated and uh, predictions of some changes in the future. So thank you for that, Rob. Johannes, let me uh, bring you into the conversation and I suppose ask you the same question, but in reverse. How has the shift to remote selling impacted the way you work with marketing? Uh, Rob talked about it, uh, bringing you closer together. Is that something that you've seen? And indeed, has it improved the effectiveness of the relationship? Thanks. Uh, That's a good question. First of all, I've been a CMO for five years and uh, moved to a sales role in the midst of the pandemic. And when I left my marketing team, I had to promise them that I'm going to be the sales leader whom they always wished for. And I really tried. Uh, But what I realized is that actually having these different perspectives actually helps a lot. And to start with that, I think the most important one for us is to to realize what actually changed for whom. Rob, you just mentioned that for sales, the world changed because there's no physical relationship anymore. And I must agree with that. At the same time, this level of trust marketeers uh, needed to create or provide platforms to create level of trust like events or exec dinners and things like that changed as well. And, and so the marketing mix changed dramatically. So that means that sales were starting to expect things from marketing, which marketing couldn't deliver uh, in in this pandemic. And I think it's now interesting for marketeers to cope with that and to deal with that, because at the end of the day, what the company sales and marketing together needs to do is still the same. But the world changed for both marketing and sales, but in a very different way. If I could just tease out a little more detail on that from you, what is profoundly in your thoughts change for marketing or the job of marketing if i could just ask you to illustrate a little bit more about what you think has changed um, in the short and long term yeah uh, so salesforce um 
is um, a company which is very, very marketing-led and marketing-driven. And one of the most important tactics for Salesforce are, for instance, events. Large events like the Dreamforce in San Francisco attracting 170,000 people and so on, but also a lot of smaller events which are still large. And if, for instance, such a tactic stops to exist from one day to the other, it does completely change your marketing approach. And we had to replan everything. Of course, there are digital elements, but as I said earlier, this is very often not exactly what salespeople need and expect from you. Because what we do with an event is is that we create a platform for engagement, for trust, for physical engagement, for true human relationships. And if that's something marketing cannot give to sales any longer, marketing absolutely has a problem. Thank you for that. Anna, let me just bring you in on, on, well, that point, uh, but also this general question that I began with, uh, which is, the impact of the switch to digital and remote selling and the impact that that has on the relationship between sales and marketing. I mean, uh, I suppose speaking um, and reflecting uh, the marketing practices clients, I mean, what what are you seeing here? Mm. I think um, I'd, I'd absolutely echo the first point around alignment. I think not just between sales and marketing, but also kind of more broadly from a PR and comms perspective. I think there was you know, quite a unique situation where large organizations were truly aligned in terms of their tone of voice, you know, what propositions they wanted to present and sell. Um, Capita's Business Unusual uh, program, and as an example, the creation of uh, dedicated web pages, which give advice, guidance to customers, as well as I really outline which propositions and products are going to help them challenging times. So I think that alignment point is absolutely being seen and, and I hope will continue. I think the other piece is the openness to test. So I think the acceptance, exactly as Johannes mentioned, that a lot of our clients were very event-driven. Tactics like physical direct mail were very effective uh, within those organizations. You know, all of that had gone away. There were no benchmarks for what would be effective anymore. And I think there's been a real acceptance between sales and marketing that we, you know, we need to try new things. So not just creating kind of more digital content, but actually really interrogating what's working and what's been effective. We've noticed um, that the time of day at which you send emails has been affected in certain sectors. Things like webinars are apparently a big turnoff for the audience. Some of our insight has shown that actually social posts, which include the word webinar, significantly underperform posts that, that talk about online events or digital classrooms. So again, I think that sort of that genuine appetite to learn and to test and to figure out what works is certainly something that we've seen alignment on. Um, and again, we'll hope to continue. I mean, just to continue on that point, I mean, isn't this just a, a case of with every uh, sudden shock to the system and enforced change, uh, you have to find different ways to execute and you need to test, as you quite rightly say. Uh, but fundamentally underpinning that, the job of marketing and the role and responsibility and the need for alignment between sales and marketing, that hasn't changed at all. It's just the way that things are executed that's different now. I think I think to a, to a degree, I, I would say away from sort of the more channel specific question and thinking about sort of digital consumption engagement, I think what we have seen, which is more related to, I guess, the, the buying environment is a shift in sort of which communications are effective. 
So um, communications which link much more to proven innovation, which outline a business case, which sort of address the question mark around time to value. And actually working with sales on that has become even more critical, I would say, because the source of that kind of data is often from proposal documents. It's from bid documents. It's from anecdotes from sales about, you know, what the moment of truth was with a particular customer, which made them go from being interested into signing the deal. So I think from a communications perspective, I would say that sales-led insight and involvement has has increased but at a channel level it, it's probably sort of as it should have been over the, over the years thanks for that i'm just referring back to the mckinsey uh, report that i talked about at the beginning of our conversation they found that only about 20 percent of b2b buyers say that they hope to return to in-person sales self-service and remote interactions uh, it is said have made it easier for buyers to get information, place orders, arrange service, etc. I mean, what elements of the new way of working do you think will be retained and why? Let me return to you for a response on that, Rob. I think we've learned a lot really quickly. What the pandemic has done is it's forced a lot of digital innovation and it's not perfect, but it, it, it and regulation around it is I think the term is dodgy to say the best, but there's a lot of innovation happening. There's new ways to communicate. There's new platforms that I don't think will replace the physical world. There's a huge value in that. And I mean, you know, the whole world is built on communication and meeting people and getting ideas, brainstorming. We we all miss the water cooler more than we miss the office, right? So it's, you know, you miss that interaction and the dynamics of people, even if people, people that you work with that you may not consider best friends they're the people that you spend time with you bounce ideas off and and and, um, even internally within organizations i think that's the 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 most difficult thing to overcome and i I mentioned zoom earlier and there's a lot of these online events it's very interesting and i think you mentioned about the you know you can't mention webinar anymore and 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 just people get tired of terms but it's really the technology that's driving it forward and i suppose it's not a webinar anymore because now you have characters and you have avatars and you can go into separate rooms, have one-to-one meetings. You create an online experience. I think the world is becoming more tech savvy as a result of this. They're being forced to adopt more and more of these new technologies and they're taking advantage of that. I'm hoping that we retain that level of communication and visual communication at Brighter, we force it. A camera has to be on all the time, and not because we're spying on people in meetings, um, so that people can talk to one another. They can. It doesn't matter what's happening in your background. We are a remote first company, and I think more and more companies will have to adopt this type of this way of working. If we, the financial services industry, I won't say fifty percent, but a, a large part of the financial services industry and have said that they're not going back to the office. You know, they're they're having votes internally and running polls and, you know, 90% upwards of staff are saying, well, I've actually got work-life balance worked out here. And this goes beyond sales and marketing, but it's ways of working that we're going to have to adopt and we're going to be forced to adopt moving forward. But hopefully we're going to get back to personal interaction and it will be, I think, at a, a different level of communication than, than previously. It's not, you know, Salesforce is a great example. 
Salesforce is the gold standard for CRM. So you've done a great job as, as a CMO. It's, a, it's an amazing brand, amazing company. And everything about Salesforce and Dreamforce is focused around innovation. If anybody's ever been there, San Francisco shuts down. It's a huge part of the marketing mix for Salesforce. And they keep doing it because it's extremely valuable and people go to it because they find value in it. So these things will come back and we're hoping that they'll come back sooner rather than later in a safe and, and controlled manner. But I think, you know, all of this online technology, there's a lot of the AI, machine learning, uh, business rules management, these types of technologies are starting to be adopted much more quickly than they had to be in the past. And those will drive more ownership and responsibility outwards to, to people working from home and, and, and run, trying to run their office from there. So there's certain aspects of technology I think we're going to retain. I think that the idea of working in units is maybe maybe going to be a more agile approach rather. Um, it will, will be adopted more widely and, and, and trying to deal with problems rather than just getting your job done. There's, a, there's definitely a, a change in attitude amongst most employees and staff that I talk to that they're more liberated and more free to express themselves and contribute. And some people are hiding, but I think a lot of people are, are, are adopting this and embracing it and they're understanding this work from home phenomenon is a good opportunity for them. So I'm hoping that more people uh, understand this potential moving forward and more companies continue to free people up to actually go and be people and be really good at what they do. Thank you for that. So plenty that you want to see uh, continue, but also return from, from a pre-March world as well. Um, Johannes, Rob's teed you up quite nicely. I'm not going to ask you to uh, reflect on his the praise that you showered uh, on uh, on Salesforce and uh, and your events. But um, let me ask you that question about what you hope to see retained uh, in terms of new ways of working from a uh, from your current perspective in sales? If, if we ask ourselves, would you marry someone <laughs> whom you would only know from a Zoom meeting? Or would you create your own company with someone you just never met physically? Uh, I think all, for all of us, the answer would be no. So there is something in this physical engagement of people uh, which no Zoom conference and no webinar uh, can do. So I think the question for all of us and marketeers and sales uh, altogether is, what can we do in the next month to come to create this level of personal engagement despite of the circumstances? Uh, and I think there are some, some things which can be done, but the first is really to be mindful and aware that there is something missing. And this thought process of what is missing and what can we do about it? What is really the human interaction? What is the level of trust? I think that's super critical. Apart from that, what, what has been just said, that's I think very important as well. I mean, we, we do see also the benefits of working from home, which are enormous for some industries. So we don't want to lose them. But there is something which we also lost and which we need to find somehow and, and find solutions for. Thank you for that. Let me um, come to you, Anna. I mean, how do we, moving forward, create this sense of uh, human, well, not sorry, it's not a sense, um, circumstances where uh, you can have that human interaction, which both Rob and Johannes say, uh, uh, say that is so important from the buying experience? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think and I hope that, um, you know, there will be there will be a return to uh, to face to face and events. I think that in time that will remain sort of a critical part of the mix. I think in terms of Johannes's point around trust, I think part of how we help mitigate the risk through the content we're creating. So, you know, providing robust business cases, arming our audience with the facts and the evidence that will help uh, reassure them in their decision, I think will will continue to be an element. I think also in that kind of physical contact and relationship building, I absolutely feel it myself having worked with new clients who perhaps I've never met. It's been challenging and it, it does bring its own challenges. I would say on the flip side, there has been something of a leveler in terms of the proximity to your customers now being, you know, you are seeing them in their house. You've probably, you know, met their children and seen their dog at certain points. So I think, you know, some of that element of building that sort of empathy and trust has been created in strange ways over um, over the past few months. But I think it is also something that we should sort of learn to live with and, and to embrace. The other area that we've, we've focused on, a lot is around creating, I guess, more sort of social profiles and helping to socially amplify sales organisations. So social selling is obviously not a new thing. I would say that there's probably some sales individuals and leaders who are more comfortable with it than others. So again, I think just really thinking through over the next few months, how can we help optimize their profile advise them on how they um, you know how they can grow their network and maintain that engagement in a different channel and use new tools you know such as sort of smart links feature on LinkedIn to be able to more directly engage with their audience so I think that would be another way that you can help to build that trust and, and to kind of maintain the relationship yeah and um, you mean literally using platforms like LinkedIn uh, to both uh, develop relationships and to progress those relationships uh, to the point of sale is that is that what you're referring to absolutely yeah that's right yeah we, we've all I'm sure been for want of a better way of putting it the victim of of poor uh, communication in, in this channel I mean do you really think that that's going to be a big area and what would you say are the key things that um, sales and marketing need to think about if 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 social selling is going to be a bigger thing, which it will be anyway, perhaps only accepted. Yeah, I think it's always been part of an integrated marketing program, particularly when you're looking at demand generation. Um, you know, we would consider uh, platforms like LinkedIn in conjunction with email and, and phone-based outreach. And I think what we're seeing and probably have seen pre-COVID is there is um, an appetite from the audience to hear from peers, to hear from experts. So if you have um, individuals in your organization who bring certain insights or can um, really talk about how they're helping other organizations similar to yours with business challenges that you're facing, that's a good value exchange. I think it's thinking about not necessarily just the channel, but what is that value exchange? You know, you're either being useful or you're being interesting and I think if you're not uh, you need to question you know whatever channel you're using you know whether you should be contacting um, that prospect or customer. Thank you. Um, Johannes Rob any anything you want to add on um, or, or, or offer as a tip for those using social selling? Um, maybe I started um, I think social selling as, as Anna rightly said has been important and is probably becoming more important However, I think the disruption we've seen is also a great opportunity for us to really rethink what matters 
Um, and and what matters at the end of the day is the trust of the customers. And and I think many marketeers uh, have been um, buried with the new challenges in the last month, and they are now kind of coming back to a situation where they are fundamentally rethinking the way they do marketing. And that's a great thing because this entire disruption is also an opportunity to stop many things which didn't actually contribute to a fantastic customer experience or marketeers have been forced to really double down on what is the customer experience given the limitations and the circumstances. So I think the the, the, the point I want to make here is this is a great opportunity and and what marketers should do is to to leverage this opportunity they have now change has never been easier to implement in, in large organizations in particular than now so uh there's a fantastic window of opportunity also hmm. so what do they need to stop doing marketers then would you say I don't think there's a general answer for everyone, um, but um you know that marketing is hard to measure and so Many marketers do things which have been done in the past or where an executive said, let's do it this way and so on. So as it's harder to, to measure the impact and the effectiveness of marketing compared to sales, there are a lot of things which do not provide the greatest value in every organization, right? And now, probably even with limited budgets, to really rethink on what is the customer experience is, is I think, a crucial thing. Thank you. Um, Rob, just bringing you in in part on that, but just adding a supplementary question. I mean, clearly the pandemic and subsequent pressure on budgets, you know, we're about to enter a recessionary environment, which depending on who you believe uh, could last a long time. I mean, how has that impacted the buying experience and what specifically can marketing do to help sales when clients, customers are under uh, such pressure at the moment? Well, I think, you know, going back to um, uh, uh, what Johannes and, and Anna led to there about um, it's really keeping the customer at the at the focus, uh, at the, as the focal point. It's no longer just about operations and effectiveness and building brand and all of that stuff. It's the communities and the power of reference has never been greater. And I, I, you know, I think when we consider social, I think social is a little bit to blame for this as well. It can be leveraged to great successes and it can help you get your message across, but it can also create a lot of misinformation and noise. And a lot of the markets in my world were, you know, emerging tech rather than established tech. Um, the vendors tend to be at each other's throats quite a lot. And in markets like that, you start to Create a, there's a lot of noise about, well, I'm bigger than you are and you're bigger than me are and uh, bigger than I am and this kind of stuff. And it doesn't do much for the, the market themselves. And what seems to emerge from these startup tech industries and AI and RPA and machine learning and so on is that um, the customers start to lead. So the customers start to put together user communities and user groups, even without support of the vendors themselves. And they do it cross-vendor, across technology groups. It's, I've seen this happening in financial services a lot. And what tends to happen then, that a lot of learning happens and a lot of honesty because they're not selling to each other. They're talking about each other's problems and trying to solve it. I think that's a huge opportunity for marketing. You know, we, we were taught it when we first learn about what is marketing. It's about economics and statistics, and it's about listening. It's not about talking. And we've got into this 
uh, idea that we need to talk about everything rather than be able to mold thought leadership and reliability and trust around your brand. And you only do that by having an impact, a positive impact with your customers. So I think that's probably my my answer. I would... uh, uh, I, I'm keeping all of this uh, customer focus as, as at the forefront of everything that we're doing moving forward. And it, it's the customers that are going to create the trust for us. They're going to act as the reference points. They're going to solve problems that we didn't know existed with new technology. So that's where I think things are going. Just to continue on on that subject, I mean, I hear this a lot, that putting the customer back at the center is is more apparent now. Um my follow-up question is generally like, you know, so what went wrong in the meantime? But I mean, how do you actually do that? Uh, firstly, from a marketing perspective, and then I'll bring the other guys in from other perspectives. I mean, is it is it just a mindset, a culture, structure, or technology, or a bit of everything? I mean, what's what's the key to making sure that the customer is back at the heart? Or is it just remembering, as you quite rightly point out, some of those uh, very basic fundamentals of marketing? Yeah, I think it's the, you know, going back to the fundamentals, you can't build answers without data and information and insight. And and far too often, we in the tech world anyway, we, we have this attitude of we will build it and they will come, right? And it, it just doesn't work like that. Everybody, you, you, you only have a technical advantage for 18 months and then somebody else is caught up with you. So you've got to have a much bigger impact than that. You've got to be a good company to work with. You've got to be easy to interact with. You've got to be clear, transparent. These are expectations for top businesses, and this is how we should be behaving. But far too often, we talk about what we've just created rather than what it's going to do for you and how it fits into how how we think it fits into your ecosystem and help you solve problems and what are the outcomes and the ROI going to be on those. We should always take that focus because the sales process starts much much earlier than we think people are are looking at your website when they've got a real need they don't just browse around because there's so much information out there nobody's got time just to have a look around Uh, the odd person might but it's you know one in a million so you know by the time they've hit your website and by the time they've drilled down into financial services and what financial services products and services do you offer they're already trying to align it to something in their heads. And the way that we put that information across is either way too text heavy, way too salesy, or it it doesn't seem to relate to their business. So we've got to learn from the customer being very, very choosy moving forward and imagining that every customer has as much choice as they want and why do they want to work with us. That effect on marketing is throughout the business. It's not just a marketing function. It's you live the brand, you believe in it, and everybody sticks to the brand pillars and and the values of the organization. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Let me bring in uh, Johannes on on that question, then I'll come to you, Anna, for an observation as well. The pressure that customers are under, how has that impacted the buying experience and and what can marketing do to help sales? Um, From your perspective, is it this more profound change that Rob's talking about or something more incremental. Um, I, th- I think, first of all, I I completely agree with um, with what Rob uh, just said, um, and I think it's more of a mindset rather than a tooling uh, issue. Um, mindset, because um, all of us we've been from one day to the other asking ourselves, you know, what does really matter for us? What's important? My health, my family, my friends, and so on. And I do hope that this is something which 
know, we will do more often and is a new mindset for us also as marketeers. And with that, I think um, there are lots of, of things we can do, but this mindset thing is first and then there is technology, which you need to put that all in motion. Uh, second thing I wanted to mention is I think this pandemic with all the reflections, all the innovation and so on is actually improving marketing overall and it's helping marketeers to become better marketeers. So my question um, is is to every marketeer is, you know, what do you actually do to be a better marketeer than, than you have been a year before? Uh, and it is interesting because there are lots of things which are actually better. To give you an example, we talked about Dreamforce earlier, and of course, Dreamforce has been our North Star in terms of events. But now what we are doing is that we are doing a, an ABM version of Dreamforce, so thousands of Dreamforces, which we do virtual with each and every um, customer. And actually, that's probably going to be the best Dreamforce ever. We never thought we would do it. We would never have done it without such a pandemic. But actually, it's super interesting. And it actually, it is way more customer-centric than everything we ever did before. So I think there are opportunities now and, and opportunities to become better marketeers. Thank you. Yes, uh, another thing that I've heard a lot of, I suppose it's the, the making of a marketer has, has been the last year uh, forced to use different tactical levers and to think customer again. So um, uh, thank you for that. Anna, just your um, your concluding points on this, on this question of um, uh, the pressure on customers and the impact on the buying experience and what marketing can do to help sales. Sure. So I've, you know, I, I mentioned that sort of idea of the buyer, you know, we've seen become more risk averse, looking for shorter payback timeframes. And I think, you know, marketing recognizing that those transformational deals are perhaps more rare or harder to, to sign off leads to perhaps more of a role for marketing to consider, you know, how to help sales with the next step in a sales journey, which may not be quite as transformational but helps incrementally move that relationship forward. So even simple things like, you know, how you create a well-drafted agenda for a workshop or how do you share the best online experience to showcase um, a customer reference? I think those kind of more incremental next sales steps um, are going to be important for buyers, but also important for marketing to recognize sales needing support with that. And, and I guess marketing campaigns, which link more to that next sales step. I think the other point that Rob mentioned around the power of community, I think that also relates to stakeholder groups within organizations. So where decisions perhaps are under more scrutiny, there is a wider decision-making unit that we're seeing. There are other individuals to influence. So, you know, going back to kind of, um, you know, data analytics um, and building the right data and contacts, I think, to really look at who could those other influencing factors be in, in the decision-making process will be important. And I guess the, the other piece or linked, so I guess, risk aversion is we've seen um, a lot more sales and marketing organizations focus on customer marketing. I would say that net new and, and acquisition, particularly from a demand generation perspective, has always been the focus, certainly during my sort of 11 years at the marketing practice. And I would say certainly in the past nine months, there has been a distinct shift to looking more at customers, recognizing that, you know, a lot of organizations are not keen to switch suppliers and focusing on how to retain, how to upsell, 
uh, and how to grow your customer base through the use of you know analytics to have a look at propensity to switch and upsell, but also campaigns that really sort of help to increase consumption, for example. So how do you make sure that your customers are using your platform or your service to its greatest extent? Again, recognizing that if they're not, you're likely to see uh, a reduction in renewal rates or potentially downsell when it comes to renewal. So I think all of those elements sort of nod to the more risk averse buying audience, which I think will be a trend for certainly the next few months. And just some ideas of how marketing can help support sales with that challenge. Thank you. The focus on customers, it'll it'll never catch on. Sticking with you, Anna, uh, Johannes mentioned a moment ago ABM. I mean, what would you say is the role of ABM in creating a better long-term sales environment? I mean, regardless of the pandemic, I mean, ABM clearly has a, uh, has a bigger role. So what role in terms of creating that long-term sales environment? Mm. So, I mean, the length of the sales cycle is is the big difference in B2B. So it can be a build-up of anything from 12 to you know 18 to 24 months. So actually, I think both brand and sales activation are part of the same story. And I think that's what account-based marketing really offers the opportunity to do, to think about telling that longer-term story which builds your reputation as well as thinking about what the more immediate opportunities are to sort of drive to drive revenue so it's really that sense when you're working in an account-based marketing context that you often have a plan specifically for that account which is a cumulative series of communications which build associations which ultimately will, will create that easier selling environment and I think that's because of the levels of investment and insight that you get working directly with an account directly with the account sales teams that's the opportunity that that, that you have with account-based marketing and I think that won't go away and we've seen probably increased appetite for account-based marketing you know across customers and prospects I think the one thing that I, I would hope to see is also taking some of those account-based marketing principles of creating a longer-term, easier-selling environment, of thinking about how you build your reputation and create the right associations for when all of your customers and prospects are, are perhaps more ready to buy. So I guess as much a focus on building your reputation as sort of driving more immediate revenue, I'd hope that those account-based marketing principles go the other way and perhaps scale across some of the other marketing activities that we're able to do. Thank you. And Johannes, on the role of ABM? Um, so for me, um, we do a lot of ABM and there is there is a huge importance of ABM. And I, I completely agree that probably in the last uh, year, uh, we have seen another boost of ABM programs. However, for me, ABM is just an intermediate step because the end goal is that I'm doing a fully customized marketing where everyone is not just treated as a member of an organization, but as a human being. Right. And ABM is great as long as it's helping to come to this goal uh, where you are fully customized and fully personalized and fully uh, personal journeys and so on. So sometimes that's part of ABM. Uh, sometimes ABM is a layer, but um, generally I believe ABM is, is, is kind of an intermediate step where we are customizing a little bit, but still uh, on a relatively high level. And Rob, if I can get a, the final word from you on ABM. Yeah, I think I think ABM is nirvana. It, it would be absolutely amazing if, if we could customize all of our messaging and understand our potential customers and their pain points and be able to put 
and align our solutions to exactly what they're feeling before they go to bed so they don't have to sleep about it. But I think it's still tricky. It, it, it is really the extension of effective account management. It takes the principles of, of things like Miller-Hyman sales methodologies and it turns it into the, or extends it into the marketing realm. And responsibly so, because I think that's ideally what everybody is trying to get to. If you look at, you know, the algorithms on social media, you get served up stuff that you dwell on. And there was a show on this the other night on Panorama about, I think it was Instagram or or no, it was TikTok and serving up inappropriate content to people because the algorithms do this. And that's the same kind of principle is to get the right message in front of the right person when they need it so that you provide a solution to them as quickly as possible. I think um, we will continually work towards this and, you know, getting down the persona route of, you know, persona based and we can, we're much more accurate with our targeting now. So stuff's not going all over the place and we kind of know where we're going with it. But I think true ABM, we're still in my world anyway, a few steps away from it, not because of capability, but because of cost and return at this stage, it's just too expensive for the potential outcomes for a company of our size or a company that sells at our level. But, you know, perhaps if you're, uh, you know, Salesforce or uh, IBM or HP or Oracle, one of these uh, huge behemoths in the, in, in the tech space in my world, then ABM makes sense because your your return is huge and you have long-term relationships with, with, with excellent brands. But it, it all depends. I think ABM is suitable for certain products and services, but it's not the solution for everybody. Thank you. I feel like we could do a whole other podcast on the subject of ABM, perhaps another time. But thank you, Rob, for your thoughts there. And indeed, for all of your contributions, uh, Johannes and Anna as well. Um, That's pretty much it uh, for this episode of uh, Inside uh, B2B. I think we've learned quite a lot and covered a lot of ground in a short space of time. Aside from the very apparent need to rebrand webinars that we discussed at the uh, beginning. I think what we've uh, very clearly highlighted is, yes, obviously the the last year has thrown up all sorts of opportunities and challenges. Uh, What it has done is uh, shine a spotlight on the perennial need uh, for sales and marketing uh, to be better aligned and work better uh, together. And there are ways forward that we've discussed on that. So uh, from myself, Russell Parsons, and my guest today, until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to Inside B2B with me, Russell Parsons, and producer Tim O'Donoghue, brought to you by Bauer London Creative and sponsored by The Marketing Practice. You can listen to the previous episodes in the series by going to the Marketing Week page on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts and subscribing. 